to Mouthwash, CBD Conference's podcast with me, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of CBD Conference and founder of Emerging Technology Advisory here forth. Jane Everton's TBD talk still gets raised eyebrows and toasts. Turns out, if you call your talk, you ungrateful motherfuckers, people sit up and take note. Jane and her co-author, Carol Russell, have written Invisible to Invaluable, Unleashing the Power of Midlife Women. It's out now on Amazon and in all good bookstores. It's a celebration of what midlife women do, who they are, and what they are capable of. The book is a rallying cry for them and everyone to change the world for the better. We talked about where things are heading, how do we fix what the pandemic has done to women, so please expect some expletives. Enjoy the show. Jane is the CEO of Uninvisibility, the movement that focuses on the plight and potential of midlife women. Before this, Jane's career in advertising saw her run her own multi-million dollar agency with Revlon and Maserati for clients. Adlan then shunned her after having a child, but Jane wasn't having any of that, and Uninvisibility was born. Members range from comedians to writers, politicians to activists, and a veritable black book of talent. Second up tonight is Carol Russell, an award-winning screenplay and scriptwriter who works on BAFTA-nominated work, including Soon Gone, A Windrush Chronicle, or celebrating the 70th anniversary of Windrush. Whether on the BBC or streaming services, Carol's work is changing hearts and minds around the world. Carol is currently on the prestigious Criterion New Writing Programme and writing multiple episodes of the detective series Stone. Jane and Carol, welcome to the show. I am honoured you've made time to talk to us about the new book and a lot more things besides. How's Wednesday shaped up for you so far? Very good, actually. Brilliant. I, I think you were doing the audio version of the book, is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. Excellent. Yep. We've been reading it out loud all day, so we know every word. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I hope you've gargled with something because you'll be talking for another hour. Is that all right? <laughs> that's fine. We, 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 Carol and I have a, a pact that we don't answer the phone to each other unless we've got two hours to spare. So an hour's a doddle for us. Excellent. I read that to the book. I read that in the book. Um, right. Well, this should be fun. Anyway, mouthwash isn't just me chatting with Carol and Jane. Um, I want to hear what you have to ask as well. So please use the hashtag mouthwash show and I'll do my best to get them in all of those questions. And who knows, they might even go through them afterwards and answer you directly. We don't mess about here at Mouthwash. Okay, um, where to begin? Let's start with what was the first thing both of you thought when you each woke up this morning? Bloody hell, an alarm. I haven't had one of those for a year. (laughs) (laughs) And you, Carol? I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to try and get an Uber at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, and was that a success? Yes, it was. Oh, I was even early. And that's the Uber we know and love, isn't it? And that's the thing. I actually took an Uber last night as well. It was um, tipping down and uh, my first one for probably over a year. And it was weird because they had this plastic uh, shield up, which wasn't really shielding anyone from anything except for like a direct collision. But um, yeah, I don't know how you guys felt, um, but um, it was an interesting experience. I didn't feel super comfortable, but at the same time, you know, neither did I want to put the window down because it was absolutely tipping down. But, um, But yeah. Interesting. Um, right, uh, Carol, you have the yes. last. How have the last twelve months been for you? Gosh, um, it it's actually been very interesting. Um, I had been struggling to find work for the last couple of years, not the last year, but the couple of years before that. And then last year, it just exploded. And I'm talking about before George Floyd, so that's not even the issue here at all yeah but um yeah it's been really good excellent and you jane um 
probably one of the best years of my life. And I know that's, you know, sort of, we're not supposed to be sort of saying that in COVID times because so many people are suffering. But um, yeah, I've, I've achieved so much more this year than I think any other year in the whole of my life. Oh, that that is good to hear because I know you have had harder years, which I want to talk about a bit later. Um, likely, yeah. um, Carol, you are a highly decorated writer. Are you seeing change in the industry with representation, or is it all lip service? I am seeing change because um, if you think about the fact that really about five six years ago there were very very few um, um, Asian or British people of African descent who were getting writing gigs on shows outside of the, the continuing drama series. And so now, when I look now and I listen to my um, peers now, it, things have changed a lot. I'm hoping that it stays that way. No, definitely, definitely. Um, Jane, um, I'm, I'm trying to get through the, 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 the bits about you quickly because I want to get onto the book. Um, Jane, your story left Jaws on the floor at TBD, I remember, and um, uh, led you to create uh, part of the Invisibility Project. Tell us a bit more exactly about what that is. I know it's not been easy for everyone. Uh, sorry, the Invisibility Project or my times? Uh, Uninvisibility Project at the moment. Start with that. Okay, so, well, I started the Uninvisibility Project after I became completely invisible to the industry. Um, I tried for three years to get a job in an industry that claimed that, you know, only 3% of the female of creative directors were female. Um, I stuck my hand up very loudly and was completely ignored by the industry. Um, and the, um, the project actually started with a tweet asking if there were actually any women over the age of 50 creating ads in London. Uh, it was retweeted 64 times, um, and I got eight names. Um, so um, I thought the Uninvisibility Project was going to be a sort of Humans of New York type thing where I find an amazing woman and tell her story. But it was really apparent, you know, even in the first week of launching it, that this was a big societal problem um, and, you know, far, far greater than I'd even imagined it was. So, you know, we've gone from strength to strength and, and have really, you know, gone from what I thought was going to be a cute little social media campaign into a real movement. Mm. Um, before we talk about the book, tell me about your, each of you, your early years. What was the pivotal moment or time do you consider that shaped who you are today? Gosh, you go first, Jane. Oh, I'm going to say that to you. I'm 58 years old. It was like I've probably had five different starts in my life. So actually putting it down to one is is almost impossible. <laughs> I think for me then, um, for me, it was going to Jamaica when I was 14 years old. That was the thing that changed me. I mean, gosh, immeasurably. Mm. Um I was there for seven years. I finished high school out there. I went to the Jamaica School of Drama, and then I returned. And now I've thought of an answer. Um, <laughs> the, thing that, <laughs> um, the thing that I think that changes me the, changed me the most was becoming a mother, um, and particularly being a single mother. Uh, now I'm at the point where my children are 19 and 22. Uh, there's a great deal of satisfaction from knowing that I've done a good job and they're two really 
amazing human beings. So, yeah, I'd have to say being a mother. Okay, I love that answer always, and that's the thing. Um, and some people shy away from it, and I never understand why, and that sort of stuff, but anyway. Um, okay, on to the book, the, the, the main thing. Right, loved reading it. Invisible to Invaluable, Unleashing the Power of Midlife Women. Um, I learned a ton reading the book, um, and I considered myself knowledgeable but not expert on it, but now reading the book, I definitely, you know, I think I can hold my own, but I'm sure you're going to prove me wrong tonight. Um, the book starts with uh, the amazing quote from african-american poet who uh, i am extremely happy to be in a several youtube rabbit holes with at the moment sonia renee taylor if anyone um, doesn't know um I, wa I want to read it out because I just think it's really important and powerful. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalised greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given a chance to stitch a new garment, one that fits all our humanity and nature. Question for you both. Do you think that humanity is going to utilise the opportunity that it's been given? I think it already is. I, I, everybody I know is seeing changes in the way that we work, the way that we relate to each other. Um, and I, I really do think that this has been a real chance for the world to, you know, reboot. And, um, you know, I, of course, there's going to be people that are going to want everything to go back to how it was. But I think a lot more people are going, hold on a minute, if we've got a chance to redesign things, let's redesign them. Mm. I agree. I think that um, people do want change. What we've been living through in the past four years has been um, really uh, interesting to uh, use the, uh, a word a friend of mine uses and doesn't ever quite mean it. But interesting, because I think that we, we need that change. We need to change the way the world has been. Because if we don't, I don't know what will happen to us. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's something a lot of people are looking at at the moment, and I'm not. I think there's a bit of paralysis in certain companies. There's a bit of leaping um, before fully knowing and not necessarily getting the results they wanted, so they're pulling back. But I do, like you, see a lot of green shoots, and I certainly hope they continue. That's for sure. Um, before I go into specifics of the book, what what was it you want, or what do you want, rather, people to get from the book, or, or do? Um, see midlife women for who we are. Um, I think, you know, previous to this time, we're the first generation of women that have entered the workforce en masse. We're the most experienced, educated and healthy women who are going to live till we're 90 or 100 years old. Uh, we've got to start, we've got to stop this, there's just young and old. There is now a whole new middle. Um, and the opportunities in life when there's a middle section to it is enormous, especially for younger people. Mm. Speaking of young... Sorry, Carol, did you have anything to add to that? Um, the thing, I think the thing I want people to get from this book is that if we as women, all of us, come together, black, white, Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian, Native peoples, if we come together, we can move mountains. Mm. That's what I want people to get from this book. I agree, entirely. Excellent. I'm going to come on to that a bit later as well. Um, one of the first things I read in the book that really sort of like I, I put an earmark by was that ageism is detected in children as young as three. That absolutely floored me. Um, how much do you think uh, children's book writers have to do with the roots of ageism? Oh, I don't know whether 
whether it's book writers as such, I think it is a societal attitude that has been there for centuries. Um, so, um, yes, they're reading old fairy tales and old stories, and, you know, whenever they talk about a granny, that, that you know, she's either a wicked old witch or a sweet old granny. Um, you know, again, we women like us have never... Have, have never existed before so you know it's not just book writers i think the whole of society has to start looking at what is midlife you know um any article about women you know midlife women shows a picture of of helen mirren she's 75 you know the spice girls are midlife women yeah I love that in the book as well, the examples that you got. I could just see you writing it down as well, really angrily. I liked it from um, TBD as well. Um, I found the biblical chapter, Inquisition. They're all, all the chapters. Um, I can't remember how many there are, but um, more than 10. Um, 24. There you go. Uh, more than 20, there you go. Uh, 24, good Lord. Um, they're all, they all begin with an I word. So Inquisition uh, and Incon- Interconnected um, were the two chapters that I found fascinating because I just didn't know all of that existed. Um, it, they're all to do with the roots of everything, how institutional race and ageism is uh, and comes about. Um, religion and subsequent beliefs, they're all at the heart of it. So I think I've got to ask, what should we do with religion and how it's taught? Oh, God, that's a big one. Um, I think we have to start looking at it. We have to do comparative myths. I don't think that we can say that the story of Jesus or the story of Buddha or whatever is the story. We've got to look at all stories. Um, You know, these stories, you know, the Bible stories are only 3,700 and something years old and were only written down, you know, um, know, two or 3,000 years ago. Um, So... We have to look even further back. We have to, you know, if we go, if we've, if we've built the whole of society on myths, we've got to look at all of them. Definitely, Carol. And I think that when I uh, comparative religion is something that has interested me for a long time, and it's interested me because the, the tenets are the, are the same, all of them, all of the re- major religions carry the same central tenets and so for me it's in terms of teaching religion it's about teaching us to behave with each other as we like people to behave with us i like that as a sentiment i think that's definitely not taught enough and not reinforced enough that's for sure um the book explores um uh, to, to paraphrase you have to see it to be it movement um carol where are we with this is there anything uh, really changing or do you think we're doomed to sort of see certain roles given subtypes uh, in tv shows are we really that basic and stupid or or is more going on i think more is going on and certainly because of what's been happening in america uh, over the last 10 years i'd say the the proof if any were needed that having diverse stories really has a, affects your bottom line means to me, and I can see it now, that people are and companies are looking to see how they can bring in those diverse stories. And I think that's really important. Tell, tell us a bit about your experience of when you're in those rooms um, writing or being asked to write for things and that sort of stuff. What, what is it like? I, I've never been in a, such room to start with, let alone being in your shoes being in that room. Well, 
Until recently, we didn't operate writers' rooms in the UK at all. If you were writing on a series, you would meet um, maybe the person who had created the series. They would talk about what they what their vision was for that series, and then you would pitch a story for the for the series. And if they liked it, they would commission you, and you would go off and you would write that script. Now we have taken on the American Writers' Room, which I think is absolutely brilliant because what it does is it brings more voices into the story it brings more points of view into the story and so now how i feel well when i was working on stone it was brilliant because i knew that i had the support of the writers that i was working with and knowing that gave me a confidence to put my oar in from time to time, and also to write the kind of story I wanted to write. In in those in those rooms, are they do they tend to have sort of representation of ages, or would you say it's sort of middle age up, or what's the usual makeup roughly? I think the usual makeup is actually quite young, um, and that's one of the reasons why you know Jane and I have been working this hard. To get the to, to 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 put into people's minds the idea that midlife women in particular have something to say that can benefit everyone. Yeah. And so I'm working really hard to get more midlife women into those rooms because mm. at the moment there are only a few of us. Absolutely, and I guess as well that some some sort of not blame but some responsibility or accountability would have to come with the casting directors as well because you can write the roles, but then if you've got people who aren't necessarily middle aged playing them, maybe that would not not gel. What what do you both think of that? Uh, look, I think it's interesting. When Carol and I met, we met at the National Film and Television School where I was writing a TV pilot, um, and something that I'd been writing for ten years. Uh, but only now would that idea get through because every time I put it in front of somebody, can you make the women younger? Can you make the women younger? Can you make the women younger? And it was never, ever going to even get anywhere near a commissioner because that was the attitude in place. Now I'm ready to go back and rewrite it because I think the world is ready for stories about midlife women. Mm. Especially with the um, success of um, Last Tango in Halifax. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I remember um, mum telling me, my my sister telling me about that, actually. Um, One of the things in the book that I found interesting was the lack of black women gifts reference and the Copenhagen study uh, of the top words used to describe women in books. Um, You you haven't read it yet, but the top 11 words used in 3.5 million books that they pumped through AI uh, to basically figure out what, what words we used to describe women were beautiful, lovely, chaste, gorgeous, fertile, beauteous, um, sexy, classy, exquisite, vivacious, and vibrant. Question for you. Do you think tools like Grammarly, Google Docs, etc., have a pl- part in changing our vernacular, or is this list more of the job of schools to do? Where does the devil responsibility lie? I think it lies with humans because it's about the way we see each other. All of those words that you just read out, all of them are about what we look as women look like, not about how we think, not about what we can do, but about how we look. And I believe that that's not 
Grammarly's job. That's not Google Docs' job. That's our job as human beings to change the way that we interact. Um, but we can do it on Twitter and, and places like that. We can actually use social media to do that. Um, there was a great um, campaign on Twitter where um, people would actually put on how, women, how, many, how female characters were described in scripts. Um, and, you know, it actually got people realising, hold on, if I go, you know, she's, you know, Jane, 25, a really hot girl with big boobs, that your script is not going to get through that you've actually got to start to look at that character as a human being, not just a, a, an object of male obje objectivity. Interesting. Sorry, my mic was... I'm trying to keep it on mute, um, just so I, any background noise isn't on. Um, you mentioned early on you couldn't get anything typed in the book, uh, typed without offering a kidney, which sort of stuck out to me. Um, but the guys could throw anything at typists and they'd get it typed. Um, fast forward to today, are women supporting women enough? What's going on with the sisterhood? I think women are supporting each other far more than they ever have done before. Um, again, we say in the book, one of the greatest tricks that the patriarchy plays is that women are in competition with each other. Mm. Um, and usually for the attention or, the, you know, for the attention of men, that is no longer the case. Um, so I do see that women are supporting each other more and more. Uh, I think now we have to expand that. You know, when white, white women are supporting white women and old women are supporting older women and black women are supporting black women we've got to get a sisterhood um what's the quote carol in the book which is fantastic which one the one about the you mean uh do you mean the one by bell hooks yes oh now you keep talking uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's looking through the book isn't she yes, of course I yes find that page. <laughs> the reading out <laughs> <clears throat> it's basically saying that when women can treat each other as unrelated women can treat each other as sisters that's when we'll have real solidarity mm. so you know and again we find you know i find it's really interesting that probably the group that i get the most resistance from from the uninvisibility project is younger women Oh, really? And, Why is which that? I find absolutely incredible because it's their future. Mm. Um, I think there's a story on the Uninvisibility site that actually probably sums that up the best. It was an Australian comedian uh, who was actually one of the world's first BJs. Um, and in her 50s, she decided to take up stand-up comedy. Um, and, you know, when she started out, she was absolutely awful. But once she got going, she was actually getting really good. And uh, she was actually in a competition. And the younger women went to the competition organisers and said she's already had her time in the spotlight. She shouldn't be in this competition. Oh, wow. And so I think, you know, particularly young, ambitious women, I think they really do think that we're trying to muscle in on their territory when actually what we're trying to do is make their lives a lot easier. Because if we all have long careers, you know, currently, you know, the, 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 particularly in advertising, you know, 45 to 48 is when women get, locked, get, get, get got rid of in the industry through, you know, the, the round of redundancies. Mm. But, you know, if we expand the time that women can have careers, it just gives us all so much space. That's interesting. I mean, Jane, in the book, you say you're hoping for a revolution. Is that is that what it looks like? Is just like a meeting of the minds where people are sort of coming together and understanding each other? Or is it something not more violent, but something more you know, in your face? 
No, I do think it's a... I think Russell Brand says it's a, re- a revolution, but with love in the middle of it. Mm. I really do think it is a revolution filled with love. And I think, again, COVID has given this opportunity where we do care about each other and we've shown that we care about each other. And I think, you know, if we can all get out of our bubbles and actually start really, you know, relating to each other and, um, you know, and helping each other and, 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 and sticking up for each other. You know, if younger women were out there going, hold on a minute, why have all the older women just been retrenched from our company? That's my future. If you can start, you know, and again, you know, there's lots of isms, but ageism is the one that we'll all suffer from if we're lucky. Mm. So it's ridiculous that anybody can be ageist. A, a perfect segue, another ism we want, I want to talk about. Um, you talk about feminism towards the end of the book uh, and how women of colour aren't represented by the term. I hadn't heard womanism before. Um, can you explain why the term is more inclusive and sort of meaningful? For me, it is more inclusive because it, it's, it doesn't have the baggage of the word feminism. Because the word feminism came out of the women's suffrage movement and the white women's suffrage movement and black women and Asian women and Southeast Asian women were left out of that movement and we were asked to wait while white women went forward and got got theirs. Womanism is a word that includes us all. It doesn't feel like... As I say, it doesn't have that baggage. Do you think that word is going to... How? So forgive me, I don't know, and I haven't mm. had time to sort of fully look. Is um, womanism a large term? Is it a niche? Is it something you're trying to start? Give, give me a sort of sense of where we are with it. I've read it's it since w- name. <laughs> have you really? That, I mean, there's loads of them throughout the book, I must admit, for sure. <laughs> Sorry, Carol, you got... It's, it's a word that Alice Walker came up with, I, rem- I remember, in the 80s. Mm. Um, or it's a term that I heard her use. I don't know if she came up with it. I heard her use it. I heard her define it. Um, and so it's not something... It was something that, as particularly at that time, black women were calling ourselves. We would say, we're not feminists, but we are womanists because we agree with many of the tenets that uh, white feminists are talking about, but we felt that we had to make a space for ourselves. Um, And I think also, you know, I think it's a far more powerful term than feminism. I would love it if all women could call themselves womanists. But we have to to recognise where it came from and that this is, you know, once again, a black woman's, you know, creation. Mm. Uh, So, you know, it it would be horrendous if white women took over womanism and owned it themselves. It was like, you know, if we're going to change over to be womanists, we really do have to salute the sovereignty of the black women that that created it. Mm. Do you think that's likely to happen or how do we make sure that it does happen? I don't know. I think people just have to, you know, I, I I think it's one of those things that people will go, hold on a minute, womanism's a much better word than feminist. So, you know, when you're being interviewed and somebody says you're a feminist, you go, no, actually, I'm a womanist. And somebody else will go, hold on a minute, that's a much better term than womanist, you know, than feminist. Yeah. So I actually think it's something that if it, it, you know, if it resonates, it should take off by itself. 
a lot of a lot of the advice in the book and sort of conversations that we've had it feels like a lot of the messages just subtle reinforcements is really going to change over time do you, do you think that's true am i paraphrasing too much there or do you think it's, it's a, a more sort of sharp shock that people need and then change will happen it's been really interesting again we're recording the audio book and, and you know the audio engineer is a guy in his early to mid 20s and you know we'll get to the end of the chapter and he'll go wow that was amazing oh my god i never knew that and you know when i do speeches people come up and go my goodness i never knew about this before this is something i've never heard of um so you know again i think the more that we have new conversations and a new perspective on it again i say there's never been a generation of women like us before so we're the first generation of midlife women that are standing up going hey we're not like our mothers or our grandmothers. We're a completely new set of women. Mm. You better listen to us and and and, and listen to to what we've what we've been through and what we've achieved. Mm. Because you wouldn't throw us away if you knew how much we'd done for you. That is I absolutely. Think Sorry, Carol, go on for it. I was going to say I think it's a quieter movement myself. I think it's going to be if it's picked up. It, it will be picked up more quietly. It will be a mouth-to-ear kind of um, movement. So as Jane was saying earlier, one woman says it, another woman hears it, it resonates. She starts using it. Somebody else hears her. I think it's going to be more like that because I think that there are conversations that we as women of all races need to have and need to be having. And I don't think that that's something that needs to come with a short, sharp shock. I, I, I think change can come from a lot of different places. I, I hope it comes from where you're going for, Carol, because I think it will be easier and st- last longer. Sometimes short, sharp shocks don't last very long, you know, and that's the thing, or they're, or they're good for a year and then they sort of go. So I, I definitely hope that it's the latter. Um Okay, uh, you mentioned trans people um, in the book a few times, a term and subject that has a lot of people confused and some very angry. Um, why, why do you think that is, that people are so, not necessarily, well, some are offended, some are, some are angry at them and that sort of thing. Why, why did you choose to include them? You know, it, it, you didn't have to include them. Why did you include them? Um, Go on, Jane. So I think particularly from white feminists, midlife feminists, um, I think a lot of them have felt as though they've been fighting for their whole lives to um, to, to, to get a place, to be seen, to to actually be taken seriously. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not this myself, but I think there's a lot of women that are going, we've been fighting really hard for the rights of women and we're not there yet. And I think they're feeling as though, you know, they haven't reached where they need to be. And it's like, it's, it's somehow it's being taken away from them. I don't understand how, but they feel as though something's being taken away. Mm. And you mentioned J.K. Um, Rowling writing under her pen name, um, potentially being hypocritical because afterwards she wanted to write under the, the Matt Gentleman's uh name and title and that sort of stuff and i i really sort of didn't see it until i sort of read that chapter of the hypocrisy of that um i think it's really interesting that a lot of people have issues with that group or those groups um i i find it almost there are bigger things to worry about and that's something but equally it's to do with identity something that we're going to talk about with um tracy um follows uh, in a subsequent episode um so also we're in a we're in a society where there is more gender neutrality 
And, you know, having gone through the other side of, of menopause, I certainly understand gender neutrality far more than I ever did before. Um, because you are far more gender neutral. And I think, you know, in the same way as, we, you know, we've got to, our movements have to include all women, that includes all people that identify as women as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I I agree with that. Because for me, I, for me, it was important to include trans women in this book because they are women too. That's how I see it. I don't see it any other way. Mm. So as far as I'm concerned, if you identify as a woman and you have been living your life as a woman, then you are a woman. Mm. I, th I think it's just seeing another person's perspective, viewpoint and accepting it. There's not, it's not yeah. necessarily a role to challenge it, is it? Or, or if you feel no. that it is, go and have a talk with that person directly, I think. And, you know, try and see, try and put your uh, feet in their shoes and that sort of stuff. I don't think we do that enough um, as, a, as a species, let alone, um, you know, individuals. But um, I, it's I, I hope that's changing. It's time for a lot more cups of tea. It's exactly. time for a lot more cups of tea. It's a time for a lot more conversation. And it's a time to start having conversations with people that we don't usually have conversations with. Mm. I think one yeah. of the reasons why we get stuck in our bubbles is because we only ever talk we only ever talk to people that are like us. Yeah. Yeah. And that creates a, a, a lack of understanding of who we are. And so we see people across the way and we don't understand them. We don't know who they are and we, mm. we're afraid to talk to them. And unless we, as Jane says, we sit down and have a, either some wine, which is my personal favourite, <laughs> some wine and have a chat, then we're not going to be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and we will be afraid. And that's what so many of the isms that we're living with today are born out of. They're born out of fear. Mm. And, that, and that, that's the key, isn't it? It's overcoming that fear and figuring out either as individuals or groups that other people probably aren't coming to kill us. You know, those days aren't necessarily, you know, gone for a lot of people in different parts of the world. But actually, you know, for a lot of us, they, they somewhat are, you know, it is perceived fear or per perceived violence that is the issue for a lot of people. I was flabbergasted when I was asking my friends um, a couple of weeks ago, um, how many of you know your neighbours? And it was about one of them did. Most of them have never spoken to them or have very detrimental things to say about them, um, but never met them or never had that conversation to have a chat with them. I, I, I just don't understand where that sort of attitude and sort of, you know, ability to live in that way, except I, I, I want neighbours to know what is going on, if that makes sense. But it, it, it staggers me that, you know, we, we live in nations which are so close. We build so close together, but we don't know those people. It's madness. It's so true. I remember, I remember when I was living in Jamaica, one of the things, it took me a little while to learn. If you're walking down the street and you catch someone's eye, you say good morning. You don't have to know who they are. You yeah. may never see them again, but you say good morning. And so that was, having learned that, I came back to the UK with my bouncy self, walking down the road, looking at people in their eyes and smiling and saying good morning and knowing that they think I'm absolutely mad. But for me, it, it's the thing that keeps my humanity. It's a thing that, that for me means that, that I'm touching someone with my humanity and I'm touching theirs. I think that's the key. I love that. You know, when people say hello to me in the street, or you can almost see it sometimes when you walk past people, you do catch their eye. And it's almost like a longing to sort of have a connection with someone, certainly in the last year. And like when I've been out, um, you know, walking and that sort of stuff, 
some people have said hello to me and it, it, it's almost been a shock, you know? And I don't want to live in that society. I want us to live where we're more connected than ever. We are more connected than ever, but we seem to be more distant than ever as well. And that's something that I find really, you know, just somewhat morally abhorrent, but at the same time, you know, it's in my power to fix as much as the other person. So I am one of those people and I do say hello to people, but I will tell you I still get funny looks from people and I don't say, you know, have a nice morning, you know, in a weird way, at least to my perception anyway. But, uh, but yeah. One of the things I did notice was, you know, again, most midlife women do feel invisible, but we do see each other. Um, so, you know, uh, when we were all, you know, out and about more, I remember, you know, a woman would just walk, she walked past me and just went, great pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, midlife women, because we are so, you know, nobody else sees us other than ourselves, is that I think a lot of women actually do go out of their way to sort of go, I see you, I recognize you, I, you know, I see you. Yeah. I think that's important, isn't it? Um, let's talk a bit about um, the the pandemic. Uh, it's not been equal uh, for women and minorities, um, but I sense the tough conversations between folks of different ethnicities that we sort of alluded to a minute ago hasn't been made any easier either. Um, how do we get more people to sort of talk to each other about age and inequalities coming out of and sort of after the pandemic so that we actually see some real change? I think we have to really... Um, particularly on age, we have to sort of recognise that cross-generational work is the way of the future and cross-diversity um, is, is, is the way of the future. Um, we're, we're no longer stuck in our own tribes fighting each other. Um, we've actually got to find ways of coming together. Um, and I think that's up to, uh, I think that's up to, you know, because, you know, the advertising industry, you need to be employing more midlife women. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we need to, we, we need to actually, you know, we need to treat, treat ageism in the same way as we've treated every otherism. Um, and, you know, and, and when we do, you know, diversity and inclusion, that means everybody. Um, you know, it's not just a case of, you know, let's just get a few black people in here. It's like, no, if we're going to be diverse, we've got to be truly diverse. Mm. Um, Carol, I was moved yeah. by your inaudible chapter. Um, you talked about your childhood in the book, issues with um, British school leaders uh, and how your parents championed you. Um, I learned the word misogynoir. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yes, prejudice you against are. Excellent. Um, ex prejudice against black uh, women who are black. Um, I, I had no idea that word existed, let alone how to use it and that sort of thing. Can you talk to us about how that's shaped, um, if that's the right word, the career that you have today? Um, oh, that's, I suppose it's shaped it because I've had to prove myself a lot and show that I am more than what I look like, a black woman. It's been really challenging, especially in um, the industry I work in, which is really it's a weird one because it's very much an industry in which men are very successful and women have to work really, really hard to break through that glass ceiling. And so for me, I'm looking out and I'm thinking in the UK, where is the black female who has had a show commissioned, an original drama commissioned drama series not even film because we've had films i've seen those but that's how it's affected me mm. it's affected me in that i i find it, it's difficult for 
it's difficult for many of us to believe that we can be it because we are still yet to see it. Mm. How far do you think we are away from that? I'm hoping that in the next couple of years, I will turn on my television and watch something that's been written by and created by a black woman mm. or an Asian woman or an East Asian woman. One of us has got to get there. Mm. There's been some real, um, I hate to say moments, but it's sort of occurrences really of um, people winning awards recently and that sort of stuff. Do you think that, you know, that that's a sort of tokenism or, or how, how, how do you think the world's seeing those moments at the moment? I don't think it's tokenism. I think it's market forces. Mm. I know I'm certainly bored to death of white men's stories. It's like, I yawn. I just go, I can't, and no more daddy issues, please God. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll watch something and I just, I'm so bored of the male voice, white male point of view of the world. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think these awards are being made and these, you know, people that, are, you know, these shows are being made and awards are being won because there's a desperate need for new stories. We're bored yeah. of the old ones. I, I, yes, I completely is, agree with that. Sorry, Carol, go on. I was just going to say there is a freshness, um, something, especially in something like Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. Oh, yes. So I good. had never seen anything like that on TV before. Yeah. I couldn't never. believe that that was snubbed at the Oscars, uh, Emmys and Oscars, wasn't it? It was... Yeah. And the BAFTAs, yeah. And the BAFTAs, yeah. Well, we never know. We never know. The BAFTA, uh, the TV BAFTAs are coming up, so we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully I they'll need to redeem go and have a look and see. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, she is the, the first black woman that I know of who has created a drama series. Yeah. She's the first one. And she's, she's been very also, vocal. Exactly. But she's also an actor, so it's easier for her. Ah. In that they already know that people want to see her. They already know that everybody, I mean, chewing gum was brilliant yeah. as well. It was crazy and brilliant. So because they knew that there was a, a market for her, it was much easier. And it is much easier if you're an actor, writer. Yeah. What I'm talking about are people who, you know, hide in their rooms and barely go outside and write and, and scribble down their, their visions of the world. Those are the people I want to see get the opportunity to write series. Yeah, I think I think it's got to come as well, because like you say, the stories we've got are boring. The stereotypes we've got are boring. People have sort of seen it. If nothing else, you know, variety and that sort of thing. But at the same time, just representation. It feels like not just the right thing to do, but it's the right time. Like, we're not those people anymore. At least I hope we're not anyway. But, you know, I, I, I don't watch these standards, I but I don't think those people exist. But anyway, sorry. I agree with you, Paul. I don't think we, as the general public, are that way. Mm. I believe that the, um, just from how I see it, the commissioners think that people don't want to see those stories. That's what they think. But I believe, especially watching something like Gogglebox, I watch Gogglebox and there you've got the whole spread of Britishness and they watch everything. And when they're watching, if they're watching something with... Um, 
uh, a black or Asian uh, protagonist or lead, or even if it's a documentary, the story is about a, a, an Asian person or a black person, they are so interested. And that's what I believe Britain is. Yes, you've got the people who are um, full-on racist, mm. but I don't believe that's everybody. I really don't. I couldn't think that and live. No. No, I agree. I, I, I Don't get me started on Gogglebox because I have strong feelings towards that show. I do not understand why people want to watch people watching TV. Where does that end? The snake eats itself? I do not understand. Um, anyway, let's let's move on because I have very, very strong words about Gogglebox with my friends. Um, right, I am so glad that you wrote the Invest chapter. Um, it's a subject I have a lot of feelings about. Um, women in startups getting just 2.2% of the funding despite controlling the majority of where the money goes in a household. It makes no sense to me why they're not gang together and investing more in women we've got the billion dollar women's fund and a couple of others but they they don't we're not in double digits yet for massive funds and that sort of stuff how do we fix that women investing in other women yeah is it, is it just that simple it, because why hasn't it happened already i really do think it's that simple we you know again one of the things in the book we say is is we've all got to go and try and get as much money as we should, who possibly can so that we can invest in other women yeah. Because, you know, the, as Cindy Gallup says, you know, yes. the white male system has not worked for us. Why do we keep, you know, you, you don't keep, you know, madness is repeating the same behavior and expecting a different result. Mm. The blokes just don't get us. They don't get our products. They don't understand, you know, what the value we are. Um, you know, women over 45 by 50.3% of everything, you know, surely we should be creating the products that these women are buying. Mm. And, you know, God knows how much is invested in age tech each year. And yet there isn't anybody over the age of 30 doing it. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really interesting, because um, I hadn't seen it before I went to um, LA on a funding round recently for a startup. And um, the female founder I was with, um, she she had all the knowledge, knew the numbers and everything like that. But the guy talked to me and I said, you got to talk to her. She's the one that you're investing in. I'm just literally here to, you know, see everybody. And um, I'd never had that experience before. And she went, huh, happens all the time. And I couldn't believe that it was 2020 when that happened, that it was still happening. And But at the same time, then you start doing things like the TBD conference and talking to other investors and that sort of stuff. And they don't realize that they're doing it number one, because um, it's not a conscious necessarily thing. It's a, it's a bias they have. But also when they realise they are doing it, oh, my God, the conversation suddenly completely flips. But I tell you, I've, I've asked as well, that conversation doesn't flip nearly nearly enough. So I'm really pleased that you wrote this um, this chapter because I think it's one of the most important ones in the book, certainly for like the future of, as you say, products being made, uh, how people talk about the products and, um, you know, just, just creating the right ones. I'm interested in your sort of take. Um, I know the book doesn't mention it specifically, but Robin Hood uh, app of investment and that sort of thing, lowering the bar for people to get it. Do you think that's going to have any impact? Um, I, I don't know the numbers. I looked them up, but they're not very forthcoming with the data, shockingly, um, of how many women use the um, platform. But um, I haven't found any data which would suggest it may be low. <laughs> I, would, I would suggest that it would be low. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I think is, is that, you know, uh, women that set up businesses want to set up matriarchal businesses. But the investment system is 
so patriarchal. I mean, we we went through a whole system of we were actually looking at getting investment, and we as a team just pulled out because we said we feel as though we're big, which we're having to translate everything into another language. So for you know, it, it was like because they don't understand what we're doing or why we're doing it, it feels as though we have to take our matriarchy and turn it into patriarchy language, which feels uncomfortable for us and doesn't feel right. Yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see where all of that goes and if we can make that system remotely more appealing to women or, or do we need to make it more appealing? I don't know, is it? It's very interesting, but I, I, I'm so glad you wrote that chapter because it's something that I think is so important moving forward. Um, going back up, I know we've got um, another 10 minutes and that's what's up. I'm desperately trying to make the nest work so that we can do Desert Island tweets, but I'm not sure if it's working tonight, so we might just have to talk through a tweet, which we'll see how well that works in a minute. Um, but just um, a couple of final questions. Which platform do you think is the most damaging to women? Oh dear! I Pornhub. think uh... <laughs> I don't think we we heard that. Sorry. Go porn again. Pornhub. Oh, Pornhub. Yes, yes, definitely. Carol, would you agree? I yes, yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know. I, actually. Don't know. I suppose the thing the thing that I'm thinking is also I'm just thinking about the fact that 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 statistic. Diane Abbott, all by herself, gets half of the social media abuse of all MPs yeah. in Parliament. And and so that's why I was yes, Jane, you're 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 right, but that that figure there and the fact that yes, women get slated and it's the kind of abuse that women have to deal with online. The talk of you know rape and murder. Yeah. It, it's you. It, it makes it. It makes you. It makes me sometimes feel afraid to go into um, a discussion because I want to say something, but I am also kind of mindful that I really don't want to have to deal with people talking to me that way. Yeah. It was interesting when um, Zoe Scarman set up the NFTs for every time anybody sends a dick pic. Mm -hmm. um, I told my 19-year-old daughter, she said, let me get onto that, I'll make a fucking fortune. <laughs> Yes, uh, Zoe politely, uh, very, very politely described that when we had her on. Um, and uh, yeah, she's very, she's very interested in where that goes uh, at the moment, for sure. Um, she, she also admitted that she got a lot of, um, what do you call it, um, abuse for that as well. So definitely, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's not right. And some of the stuff I see um, female journalists, um, thank God they're posting it. I think that's something. They always hide the names. And I'm like, you don't necessarily have to hide those names, I don't think. But anyway, um, you know, someone's taking yeah, abuse. I think in answer to your question, it's actually not about the, 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 the platforms. It's the way that people are communicating on that platform. I mean, I've that. defended yes. people on LinkedIn. I mean, you'd think if one place, of, you know, women would be safe would be LinkedIn. No, they're not. They're still getting dick pics and, and abuse and rape, rape, you know, rape threats. On, on LinkedIn? LinkedIn? On LinkedIn. Oh, God. 
Well, I am glad that you not. I'm glad not not glad you said that last bit, but I'm glad you said it is not the platforms necessarily. I I'm I'm in two minds with you. I think Grammarly and Google Docs could nudge us into some nicer word usage and that sort of stuff, which will eventually help us be in. But I also think that it is 100% the people that are pounding those keyboards or the bots and that sort of thing, and who's programming the bots. So lots of work for us all to do, I think. Um, right, final question before we do our best to describe some tweets to people. Oh my God, we've turned into Gogglebox. Um, right. Um, what's um, your your best advice for a woman who is entering middle age that you've never given anyone before? Uh, that I've never... Oh, God, I've been talking about this for two years that I've never given before. <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> test you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, you're not alone. I mean, seriously, you're not alone. I think one of the problems with an invisibility is that you believe it's just you. Um, you know, and the amount of women that I've seen, you know, you start talking about this project, you go, oh, my God, I lost my job at 45 and I didn't even consider it. Um, so, yeah, you're not alone. It's happening to all of us. It's an epidemic. Mm. And Carol? Um, it is our time. Oh, I like that. Care to expand? I think, well, I mean... <laughs> It's interesting to me that, you know, I remember the days when um, 40 used to be the new 30. Mm. Now, 60 really is the new 50 and 40, depending on, you know, who you are. Mm. So for me, what's important is when life gives you lemons, it's that one. So when at 45 or 50, you find yourself being made redundant, if you know that it's also your time, you can take that time to do something new with it, something you've always wanted to do, as opposed to the thing that you were doing to pay the rent or the mortgage. I like that. Right, okay, well, well let's, let's just dive in and see if we can do this. I, can you give me an emoji, uh, anybody, if you can see uh, a tweet above uh, the speakers, the, what we call the nest? Is there anything up there? Give me 100 if you can see it. Waits for 100. Nope. Okay. Right. Well, we're going to describe tweets. Let's see. Let, let's let's attempt one. And if it goes well, we'll do a second one. Um, Jane, I'll come to yours because it's the uh, tweet from James Breakwell um, of Exploding Unicorns, which I will now put on my timeline. If anybody wants to um, just click through to my uh, profile, you'll be able to see it. The tweet reads, I played Dungeons and Dragons with my daughters. They were supposed to fight the wolves surrounding a town. Instead, they fed the wolves and turned them into their friendly wolf army. Girls, man, they'll take over the world jane why did you pick that one because it was uh, it was a, a, the perfect explanation of a real eureka moment for me um medical research was only ever done on males until 1993 and in 2000 ucla did a, um redid the fight or flight flight stress response because it had only ever been tested on men and male mice and when they did it, they found another reaction to stress, which was tend and befriend. Mm. So, you know, even to this day, you hear of the fight or flight response, but you don't hear of the tend and befriend response. And for me, it was like, oh, Jesus, that explains my whole career. Because I didn't run away, they thought I was there to fight. 
Um, and so that tweet, just to me, was an absolute encapsulation of that. Mm. It was like, there's wolves outside, feed them, make them your friends. They'll, you know, they'll fight the, the fight for you. Yeah. And Carol, I've retweeted yours. It's from the Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. Centre um, at the King Centre. And um, the tweet reads, please stand, hashtag Jane Elliott. And then there's a video. And I know Jane's done a lot of work with getting young people to understand bias and racism and that thing. But why did you pick this one? I picked it because I love Jane Elliott. I first saw her work uh, on Oprah's show mm. way back in the 80s. I'm talking way back. And she, it's what she manages to do is get people to embody by by sitting in by standing in the shoes of people who are black and brown. Yeah, she gets them to understand what the view is like from where they are. And this particular um, piece of film, in this particular piece of film, she's asking an audience that is almost all white if they would like to be standing in the shoes of black people. And if they would, they should stand up. No, if they don't want to, they should stand up. And they don't. And she says, oh, I don't think you understand the question. (laughs) And she goes through it again. But what it does is it helps people to... This is a shock. Yeah. This is one of those moments when a shock can get you and make you think, oh, my God, I had never thought about it like that. And I never saw myself that way either before. I didn't realise I had some of that in me. Mm. She's brilliant. I love her. There's, I remember one the one time I met her, I didn't meet her, sorry, the one time I saw her first, she was doing the classroom one, and where yes. um, I think it was like three men, like, not, not necessarily um, super young, but they weren't super, like, old. Um, and uh, I think they leave crying, don't they? Because she's literally, you know, treating them as as if um, they were black and that sort of thing. And yeah. it was it was it was such a, a change. And then I think she does one as well where she brings people to lines or step forward if you know that sort of thing. And it's absolutely yes. fascinating. I, I love. You should definitely yeah. check her out and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Carol and Jane, I can't thank you both enough for writing a much-needed and timely book. Uh, I think it's going to change some hearts and minds uh, and, more importantly, cause uh, action. Um, I urge everyone to buy it and copies for their friends, male or female, or any other identities. Um, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the mouthwash experiment. As you can see, there are some hiccups as well with the nest not working, um, but also being TBD alumni. Um, Any final thoughts or advice for listeners for the next 24 months? Um... The future of midlife women is your future, particularly for younger women. Um, you know, younger women are in such a rush, and and, and in COVID, you know, they, they've they've really suffered with childcare and you know taking on the domestic, uh, you know, the workload. If they could actually see midlife women picking up their careers and succeeding. It actually gives them a future that maybe they haven't considered now because they're like, oh, my God, I've got to be superwoman. I've got to have the children. I've got to have the career because there is no other option. I hope that they see that there is actually an option for women to really you know, get into their energy and build really impactful big businesses and you know, really make a change in the world so that they can see that they can do that too in the future. Mm. Carol, final word? My final word is go talk to a midlife woman 
not your mother necessarily, because, you know, mothers, daughters, all kinds of things can go on there. But find a midlife woman who you admire and take her out for coffee, younger women. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Mouthwash and the next season over at mouthwashshow.com. Mouthwash is recorded live on Twitter Spaces before becoming the podcast you've been listening to. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every listener and Shell for sponsoring the show. Let me know if you're enjoying Mouthwash so far by leaving us a rating and a review. Remember to subscribe to Mouthwash wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring activists, AI experts, Silicon Valley royalty, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and a whole lot more besides. See you next time and remember, always start or end your day with a little mouthwash.